We are talking about the church. Um, this series is called We the Church. And today I want to just talk about the question, uh, well, how does this work? I mean, how does the church work as well as it can and could and will? Um, Ephesians is probably the key New Testament letter where the Apostle Paul um, gives a beautiful theology of the church and also um, a working letter about how the church functions with itself. And so let me bring you to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment before we actually camp on one verse. Ephesians 4, Paul says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So that's his grand theology of the church. There is one church, one faith, one baptism, and then he makes a direct um, almost contradictory statement when he says, but to every single one of us. So his, his theme is that the church is one. It's one faith. And we keep on saying that and expressing that, hopefully, in, in this town, that we say there are all many churches who are gathering here, but they're all part of one church, one faith. And we express our unity with them as well as we can. But Paul says in this little contrasting verse, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us. So he now comes all the way down. He zeroes in on every one of you, on me, on every one of us. And he says, but to every single one of you, every last one of you, Christ has apportioned a particular grace. So that nobody gets away this morning um, by saying, this is not about me, this is about somebody else or some group of people. Paul says every single person has been apportioned a grace by Christ. Christ himself has decided who will get these graces. I don't know who left this here, but I'll put it over here because I'm going to sit down. So <clears throat> Andrew talked to us last week about the fourfold gospel. Um, what an appropriate talk with the president of the denomination here for a pastor to go through the key set of beliefs of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And we love the fourfold gospel. I hope I'm not going to confuse you today, but I want to talk about fivefold ministries. So for the last couple of decades, um, I have been paying attention to um, kind of the missional church, the emerging church. I think we all have together. And one of the um, concerns or one of the thrusts um, that the um, emergent church or the missional church has camped on is a model of leadership called fivefold leadership. And that comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It's a controversial approach to some degree, but it's also incredibly practical. So here's what Paul says. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, in this chapter, he kind of sandwiches around a really, for us, sort of startling comment. He says, um, when he has said this much, so he's, he's already covered the fact that there is one church and one faith and one Lord and all that kind of stuff. And then he says, but every single one of you, Christ has decided to give a particular grace to. And then he goes on and he says, um, now, what does it mean? Uh, to say that he ascended if he didn't descend, first of all. And it's this crazy little part where you say, what is he even talking about there? But what he talks about is a victory march. 
So he says that before he goes on to how he works this out, he says what, what Christ did when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to humans. So what is that about? How does that fit in the context? So he has said Christ has apportioned the particular gifts he has given to every single person. As he stormed out of death, he gave gifts to humankind. The idea of that is that in the ancient Near East, when there was warfare, the victor would return home giving gifts to his people. He would be tossing out gifts, tokens of his victory. And they would celebrate together the victory that he had wrought as they received and enjoyed the gifts that the victor brought. That's the context of Ephesians 4. God says, Jesus has stormed out of death. He has won the victory. And as he comes out of death, he gives the gifts of victory to his people. And then Paul goes on to kind of be explicit about who, who these gifts are or how these gifts kind of work. And that's where we get to the fivefold model of, of leadership. Um, he goes on and he says, Christ himself gave. So this is the immediate um, continuation of what he said earlier in the chapter, that Christ has decided what gifts he's going to give to what people. And it comes right down to every single person. It, it's way... Um, you know, zeroing in on every single one of us. And Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. This is Paul's explanation of what he means that Christ has given gifts specifically as he has decided to give them to every single person. So, so far, the only thing we know is that there are five gifts or five kinds of categories of gifts that are those gifts that Christ gave as he stormed out of death. So he dispensed these gifts to humankind. Every single one of you has one of these gifts. And over the years, people have disputed with me and say, no, other people I'm sure have those gifts, but I do not. I do not have any of these gifts. Well. The apostle says that every single person, every one, every single one, every last one of us received gifts which are the celebration of Christ's victory. So how does that work out? I have over the years tried to understand how the various um, categories of gifts and, and um, lists of gifts fit together in the New Testament. Because when you go to Corinthians, you get one assortment of gifts that are sort of similar to other lists. You go to Ephesians, you get some other lists, and I think they're the same, but they're maybe just a, a shade different from one another. So what are those gifts, and how do they relate to these five kinds of gifts that Paul says every single one of you has received? So that's the puzzle we have, is to figure out how that, how that all fits together. So many years ago, when NMF moved into our house, we were moving into a new neighborhood where there was construction going on every single day across the street from us, around the corner from us, and everywhere. And every morning, there was this strange phenomenon of a bunch of white cube vans driving into our neighborhood and then stopping at various sites of construction. Come supper time, the same set of cube vans, all white, as I remember, 
would leave the neighborhood and would go somewhere else. What were these vans, I wondered, and so I went for a walk one day to figure out what the vans were. To my not surprise, I realized that these vans are the tradesperson's vans that have driven into the community to work on the construction. So our neighborhood was being built piece by piece by people who were arriving in trades vans. And if you were to look inside those trades vans, many of the same tools would be in the various vans. Uh, almost all of them would have a hammer, as far as I can tell. Probably a saw of some kind, maybe some electric saws and, and all of that. There'll be some ways to measure things, ways to dig things, way to build things. But the point is that none of those vans belong to the same kind of tradesperson. The kinds of tradespersons that arrived were plumbers, electricians, um, carpenters. These were people who had a van. Inside that van were the various tools that these tradespeople would use to get their job done. That's the best way that I can understand what Paul was explaining about in Ephesians chapter 4. These five sets of gifts are the trades of the church. And the way that these gifts relate to the various ability gifts that we heard about just a few minutes ago, the various lists, is that these are the tools that these tradespeople use. So the apostle will use some of the same gifts that the prophet will use, the same gifts that some of the evangelists will use, but they will have their unique way of using the gifts of the Spirit to accomplish the task that they have been given as the tradespeople to build the church. So how this thing works is that there are five kinds of leaders, five kinds of facilitators, who will avail themselves of the various gifts of the Spirit and in cooperation with the other members of the body will build the church. So our neighborhood is finished. There's no more building. It's all done. No more trades vans arrive and no more trades vans leave. But it was a lesson in what God is doing as he builds his church. And even these days, as we look at Southside and Maine, we realize that what God is doing right now is he's calling a bunch of trades vans into the neighborhood. And he's saying, okay, you know what your job is. You know what tools you have at your disposal. You see what everyone else is able to do, and you work alongside of one another to build the church that God designs. At the end of this little passage, Paul says that's the way that we all work towards the unity of the faith, and that's the way that the church gets built up. So we are right in the middle of that, aren't we? So some of you next Sunday are going to come for um, a workshop about how it is that we get involved together. Um, some have been volunteering of late um, to join in this kind of ministry or this kind of ministry. And one of the ways that we can sort out how we do well towards um, the unity of the faith working with one another is to look honestly inside and say, what is my trade? Like, what's the thing that I am at home with? What is the thing that I am most comfortable with? What am I doing when I feel most fulfilled as part of the body of Christ. And for some of you, it will be one of the apept gifts. 
for others that would be abhorrent. You would never want to have that gift or that kind of leadership ability. But here's another one that really does fit for you. And over the years, as people have um, taken some of the various tests that there are that help them discover what their gifts are, this sort of assessment has been most um, accessible to people. And when they understand what these kinds of leadership roles are, and when they see what their place is, there are those moments where they go, aha. Or somebody else more likely will say, yeah, well, that's you, Matthew, right? And Matthew will say, oh, I don't think so. They say, of course it is. Usually you can't recognize your own gifting as easily as other people can recognize it in you. So I want this morning just to run through the list of five gifts, five-fold ministry leadership gifts that I'm claiming are the trades or are the demeanors or ways in which you cooperate with one another, doing the thing that you love doing most, that builds up the whole body around you, and at the end of the day you say, that is really sweet that that's the way God has designed this body. One of the things that delights me about scripture is how um, just evidently true and practical it is. When I read the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, and see his theology and how intricate it is and how it is so connected to itself and to the story of the Bible, um, it leaves me wondering how anybody can read the Bible and not realize that there's a cohesion in here. There's a way that this matches Old Testament, New Testament, um, centering on the person and the work of Jesus. Um, at the end of, of a reading session, and today I'm delighted Laura is just saying with the junior high kids downstairs, they're going to learn how to read the Bible together, which is delightful. What does it mean to read the Bible? What kind of material is this? And so that's what they're doing right now. Here's the list, and get ready to identify yourself. The reason that Paul says this happens is to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's the whole end game. And so here's what he says. So there are these gifts. First of all, apostle. Now here's where the, the theological, theological divergence comes about. Um, my tradition, as was Andrew's tradition, and we have both confessed readily to you that we've repented of several of those things. Not because they were wrong at their core, but they were, we'll say, misguided. Um, they, were, they were built on a framework um, that as, as we continue to study into the scriptures and the church, we say, okay, that's where we start, but then there's more that we begin to discover and uncover. So originally, um, if, if I were to say um, there's, there's a, a leadership gift called apostle, my heritage would say, yeah, but that's all gone now. Like, that's all done, right? That was a historic gift. That was a foundational gift. And indeed, there is a chronological sequence to the first few gifts that we concede um, was, was very predominant and prevalent in the early church. So who are the apostles where Paul says, well, I, I should give you my definition. Um, have I seen the Lord? Because that's the, the definition of an apostle. It needs to be someone who was with the Lord and could represent what the Lord said and did. So Paul says, I know I was not there, but
but I saw the Lord. So he's claiming apostleship and saying, I, I saw him in a different way on the road to Damascus. Uh, he had that encounter with Jesus. But usually in the early church, when questions were asked about doctrine and orthodoxy, um, the test question would be, did an apostle teach this? Did an apostle teach this because they would teach this on the authority of having been with Jesus? And then the second kind of, pro of, pro or of um, gift we're going to look at in a moment is, is prophecy. And that also is often thought in a particular tradition to be historic. It, it's not something that happens anymore. It happened back then because there needed to be um, revelation of the scriptures. There needed to be revelation of this new movement um, that, that Christ had, had ordained. Um, so, so my tradition and, and Andrew's would have been, well, those two can be kind of just set aside because they already happened. So what I want to claim is that they did already happen, and here's the difference, they also continue to happen, not in the same way or with the same priority or, or authority, but as one of the five leadership gifts, one of the five trades in which the church will still be led if we follow by the Spirit. So as we think about the gift of apostleship or the, the gift persona of apostle, um, let me give to each one of these a, a more sort of um, ordinary description. So if you're an apostle, because if I say, well, there are several people in here who are apostles, you probably go, uh-oh, I either get to go on the road and have tent revivals and like whatever, or um, I have to say, no, I don't think so, that, that's not me. If you are an innovator, that's the dynamic of an apostle. An apostle is someone who starts something. Now, the context is the kingdom of God. Um, the Paul, Paul was an apostle not only because he claims the authority of an apostle according to the old paradigm, but he also does the work of an apostle. He doesn't want to build on something somebody else has done. He wants to do a new thing. He wants to innovate. And if you are the kind of person who always dreams up something new or some new way to do this or some new um, dream, if you are a Joseph kind of person where people will call you a dreamer, and you should just say, thank you. That would be wonderful if that were true of me. Because to be an apostle is to own that trades van that says my job in the church is to innovate. We need innovators right now as we craft the future. Um, Andrew does not need to be the only one who decides or who crafts what the future of Southside is. We all need to be those people, and particularly those among us who have the gifts of leadership um, that has the shape of apostleship, of, of being an innovator. So if you have those kinds of thoughts, don't just bury them. Don't just say, I don't think anybody else thinks that's a good idea. If somebody else doesn't think it's a good idea, then say it again until there's enough resonance and people collect around you and say, yes, we should do that together. Uh, I remember many years ago, we had a fellow in the church who said, we need to start an out of the cold program. And he came to me and I said, yeah, I think we should. And he was an innovator. So I said, you're right. We should start an out of the cold program. The next year he came back to me and he said, we should start an out-of-the-cold program. 
I said, yep, you're right, we should. Because a lot of times that's how church works. Um, people come to leaders and say, you should or they should or we should or whatever. The third time that he came, he said, I'm going to start another of the coal program. And I said, great. And he did. And it was wonderful. And it was productive. The point was, he was an apostolic leader with that kind of a burden. And he was willing to sort of step up and say, yes, I will innovate to the degree that I will lead this and I will initiate some things around this. Second gift is part of the fivefold calling is the gift of profit. And I put the, the word provocateur beside that, and I'm trying to be provocative as a that word, right? What does that mean? It's somebody that's, okay, there's another way to express it. Someone who stirs up things, right? Someone who's bothered, someone who thinks we're missing something, someone whose conscience won't be satisfied with how things are. Someone who's always going to be the one who is raising her hand or his hand and saying, but what about, what about? The person who has the gift of prophecy is someone who has a, a very sensitive um, and, and tentative kind of gift. Those people that I have known over the last number of years with the gift of prophecy are very um, tentative in, in their proposals. They will not be the people that are always objecting or always being na naysayers or whatever. They may pa those kinds may pass themselves off as being prophetic. They're just actually troublemakers. The person who has the gift of prophet is reluctant. The demeanor of the prophet is reluctance. And many times as a prophet has expressed her, because it's very, very often a woman, gifting to me is by her coming and saying, I don't know if I'm right about this, but this passage of scripture keeps coming to me about th that situation, or, or this thought keeps coming to me, or I keep being bothered by this. Is, is that the spirit who's telling me that? And so I'll say things like, listen for more than one witness. Listen for other people to somehow affirm or to, um, to resonate with the thing that's bothering you. And then speak up, speak out. Um, very often for a period of time in our, in our pre-service gatherings like we do here, um, there has been a person that identifies herself um, as a prophet and I have said, when we get through the, the briefing, if there's something on your mind, make sure you always tell me. And almost every time they expressed that gift, it was after everyone had kind of gone away. And the person would say, I'm just sort of feeling like the Lord is saying, think about this. And it has been, it has been the tide turner many times where I've heard, what the Lord was saying through someone is saying, okay, we will carry that into and through this service. Thank you for making that contribution. Thank you for being courageous enough to dare to ask, um, am I sensing something from the spirit or is it just my head? Third one, um, and here's the popular one, the evangelist. Well, it's not popular if, not, if you're not an evangelist. 
Um, I had a woman who was an evangelist by nature, and she would often, often say to me, I don't get it. These people that don't share their faith ever, these people who are terrified about talking about Jesus, what's with them? And I said to her many times, they don't have the gift of evangelism. And if you have the gift of evangelism, you don't get that, 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 peop- that other people don't. Um, you get it that you're driven by something. Luis is an evangelist. He can't not be, right? Am I right? There you go. If you didn't know, you do now. Right? There, there are people who are just driven that way. And, and what does it mean to be an evangelist? It's, it's to be a promoter. Right? It's, it's t- in the normal scheme of things, it's to be the guy that sells a program or sells a commodity. You happen to be selling the most wonderful commodity, which is the message of the gospel, um, the full message of the gospel. And as you contribute this leadership gift to the, to the team of leadership, to the group of people who are doing ministry, um, you'll be the one that always asks the question, so when and how are we going to introduce these people to Jesus? And other people will be annoyed by it. They will be annoyed and they'll be saying, it, this is not a bait and switch, a bait and switch um, program. We're not just doing this so they will hear about Jesus. And you're saying, well, yes, we are. Right? And that's, that's the role. The role is to promote Jesus and to roll that concern into all of the work that the apostle does in innovating a program that the prophet does by saying, um, here is something that is an inequity, um, here is something that is not just, that is not merciful in our world, in our society, and the evangelist says, and I hop onto that bandwagon and say, and when we address that, when will we say that the reason we address that is that we are driven to follow Jesus, to follow his model of mercy and grace and justice and equity and all of those sorts of things. Did you find yourself yet? This is like a where's Waldo sermon. And some of you are going to leave here and say, well, I'm not coming back because I'm not one of those five. I'll go see if there's a better option somewhere else, right? Another list. The next is the sweetest gift. It is the gift of pastor. And in the mix, the pastor is the person who cares. Everyone needs to be, in some measure, and at many times, all of these. Jesus is the perfect example of all five gifts. But the pastor is the gentlest ministry. Um, it is the person who says, but how are you? Like, like how are people? And I, I've seen, so I'll point out John. I know John is a pastor because he's been a pastor to me and to our church for years and years. I remember one meeting in particular when a lady was sharing that her husband had been diagnosed with, um, with a, a cancer. And John came over and got on his knees in front of her and said, but how are you? And it was the, I thought, oh my goodness, like there should be courses taught on what he just did, which is stop everything and come and say, but what about you? How are you? And we are broken people, all of us, to some measure. We all need somebody who's going to come by and say, how are you? And mean it? Not just, how are you? Yeah, fine, thank you, how are you? No, how are you? I encourage people often to add the word really. Um, How are you really? 
Because that's the difference between, yeah, I'm fine. No, I can't say I'm fine, because really, I'm not. Right? Pastor is the caregiver. He's the one, she's the one who's going to say, but how, how are we? Where are, where are people um, seeing the loving face of Jesus and feeling the lovely touch of Jesus as they go through this tough life together? Um, in my years of ministry, the number of times that people have said, you know, thanks for the teaching, whatever, is, is quite small compared to the number of times people have said, thank you for caring, thank you for being there. And I might have thought sometimes that what I taught was brilliant, and what they've said to me is what was brilliant was you sat there by my hospital bed and didn't say a word. Um, just being there. And... And a lot of times we're Canadian, so we're reluctant to get in people's spaces. And yet often what people just need is n not the answers. Like, they, they don't want the answers that I've spent all of my career developing. They want to know, does anybody care about me? Um, do you care about me? Do you care about me enough to come and find me in my darkest place? Even you have nothing to say, to, to come and be there. Um, that's being a pastor. The final one is the teacher, um, and I've said organizer, because teacher connotes something that organizer fills out, right? So every couple that I marry where the woman is a teacher, I know it, because she brought a binder to the meeting, right? So... Whoever you are out there, if you're a teacher, you have binders. <laughs> That's how we'll know, right? You are organized. My daughter is a teacher. Oh, my goodness. We have binders in boxes um, that she might need sometime, right? She has binders, categories, organizing. And that's the way a teacher functions. The teacher is the one that when a team gets together and it's, it's this apept expression of leadership, um, the teacher says, okay, fine. That's all well and good. That's a great idea. Um, I think we're touching some real felt needs there. We need to be talking about Jesus. Um, we need to be loving one another. How are we going to get this done? Right? What's the plan? And who's going to manage the plan? Who's going to take notes? Who's going to keep minutes? Who's going to organize us? And sometimes it'll be, and I will teach us that. Um, so teacher is sometimes a person who's able to address a group of people. It is often age appropriate, so there are people who love teaching children who are terrified of teaching adults. There are those of us who love teaching adults who are terrified of teaching children, right? Right? So that it, the, the gift parses out many different ways, but it, it shows up as an organized, um, sometimes content-oriented um, curriculum or plan, but it's something that gets things done. So are you an apostle, a starter, an innovator? Um, when we're looking for someone who says, okay, what about this? How about if we did this? Is that going to be you? Um, are you going to be the one who says, I'm still bothered about the fact that there are homeless people on the street out there. Um, I'm still bothered about the fact that there's this inequity, this 
injustice in, in our world. And, and I'm just driven to, to try to address that. Are you the evangelist, the promoter, the person who just easily and warmly invites people to where the light is, to where the truth is? Um, are you going to be the one that says, but how are we doing? Are, are, you, are you all right about this? Are you fine? Um, or are you the teacher? Many times there is a primary orientation that is ours, and that is sometimes associated then with the secondary one that kind of uh, colors um, the primary um, sort of base gift that we have. So my base gift is teaching, um, and I was for a while a part of a, a teaching team where there were three of us all three had primary teaching gifts but all three had a secondary gift that colored our teaching so my secondary gift is apostleship at least for that period of time I would often say let's start this let's, let's do this um, another person on our team um, had the secondary sort of phase gift of pastoring and you could tell when, when Doug was teaching, his pastoring secondary sort of demeanor would come out. Um, because w when he was teaching, he would, we, we were using pulpits. He would come out in front of the pulpit, and by his body language, he would invite you into. Like, he would ask questions. What do you think? Like, just warmly inviting us in. And the uh, other fellow was a prophet. And if he wasn't quoting you two lyrics, he was calling us for justice and mercy and all of that. But all of the gifts of teaching were expressed through a secondary phase. And so we would literally talk about a passage or a book we were going to teach and say, who's the best one to teach this to this crowd, um, given that cr this crowd's need and this teacher's disposition? So sometimes we would say, this needs to be delivered by a prophet. This, need to be, this needs to be harsh. Or we might say, this needs to be gentle. Or this needs to be innovative. Uh, and so the, the teaching gift could be spun. So in all of these, there might be a secondary kind of um, orientation. Or even in, in a period of time, the Spirit of God is, is sovereign to dispense another gift that is necessary for the time. But I think all of these, we can see that th they relate also to natural abilities. They, they are not just um, totally supernatural. Oh, you're going to follow Jesus, then bam, you get to be a prophet. Oh, you don't want that? No, no, not prophet. Right? It, there is something in the one here, or maybe the two, that you resonate with um, that are just kind of like how you are at your best. Um, and it doesn't surprise you to think, well, this is something God wants to use in the gift, in the church, uh, for the church as we, as we progress on. So in these few weeks, as we think about where we're going, as you think about where you're going, um, think about this and just wonder if what you're thinking about doing uh, resonates with the gifting the Spirit has given you that you can celebrate him with and you can help build up the church together.